Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. Amen. If you have your Bibles, go to the Gospel of John, chapter 8. And I want to look at verses 1 through 11. And then also John chapter 1, verse number 14. While you're looking for, let's pause for station identification. How many of you brought a Bible with you to church tonight? Can I see? Doesn't make you more spiritual, but I just want to see who brought their Bibles. Come on, let me see. Some of you, your Bibles are glowing. Good. Charged up your Bible last night. <laughs> John chapter 8. I want to look at verses 1 through 11. Once you have it, why don't you say, yeah. yeah. If you're still looking for it, say, hold on. I'll give you some time. Isn't it stressful when the preacher keeps going and you can't find it? Come on. He's in one scripture and you got to fake it like you know what he's talking about. I want to give you some time so, so you don't have to fake it. John chapter 8, verse number 1. And it says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And now early in the morning, he came again into the temple and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees, a.k.a. the haters, brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He is without sin among you. Let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, Ooh, I love Jesus, because only Jesus could look at a lady and say, woman, don't try that, fellas, okay? Only Jesus could get away there. You go home and you look at your mama or your wife and say, woman, you're going to get slapped in the face. But Jesus can say, woman, he says, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Can you say amen? What a beautiful story. And just to add an addendum to this, I want to look at John chapter 1, verse number 14, which might be my favorite verse of scripture in all of the Bible. And it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. It is the brilliance in the brevity of that last part of verse 14. Because think with me tonight, there's a lot of adjectives that we could ascribe to Jesus, isn't it? Come on, we could say that he is great. We could say that he is mighty. We could say that he is loving. We can say he's a protector. We can say he's a provider. We can say he is our strength. We could say he is our joy. We could say he is our hope. How many know we could go on and on and on and on and the list would keep going? But that's not what John does. John says, forget all the adjectives, forget all the commas, just the conjunction. He says, when you see Jesus, you will see two things, grace and truth. And he just drops the mic right after that. 
He says that the character of Jesus is really concise and precise and can be constricted to two things, grace and truth. What is Jesus like? Grace and truth. And then he goes on to say that he's full of it. Jesus is full of it. I didn't realize what I just said right there. That'd be a funny sermon title, wouldn't it? Jesus is full of it. Actually, that is my sermon title. For the next five hours and 23 seconds, I want to preach to you just from the thought, Jesus is full of it. Would you just look at the person next to you, get in their face, get in their personal space and say, neighbor, I hope this is going somewhere good. <laughs> but that preacher told me to tell you that Jesus is full of it. Oh, come on, find another neighbor in case that one was stuck up. Come on, find you another neighbor. Come on, say, other neighbor. I'm telling you, Jesus is full of it. Come on, let's pray before we go into this word tonight. Oh, and we need some prayer. It's going to be a long prayer, but uh, just bear with me. Would you bow your heads? God, you are good. Speak tonight. Amen. <laughs> Quick little uh, sermonic survey before we delve into this. How many would say just by a showing of hands that you were raised in church? Can I see your hand if you were raised in church? Oh, wow. That's almost everybody. Hold on. Keep it lifted. Raised in church? Uh, I just need to see who needs the counseling. Uh, <laughs> I'm playing. I'm playing. Um, I will lift my hand with you, and I'll let you know that I, too, was raised in church. And if you lifted up your hand, then you are acutely aware of the fact that the life of a church kid is different than the life of a regular kid. Oh, come on, somebody. There are trials and tribulations and situations that you go through as a church kid that other kids aren't even aware of. I know this too well because in our household, we had to be in church. Every day the doors were open, had to be in church. It was not a democracy. It was a dictatorship, okay? <laughs> had to be in church. I remember one Sunday as a kid, I got a little bold and I got brave. And I told my father, I told my father, I told my Nigerian father, okay, I said, uh, I ain't going this Sunday. I don't feel like it. Told my Nigerian father that. And do you know what my Nigerian father said to me? He said, let me tell you something, boy. Let me tell you something. Huh? You have two options. You can get out of that bed and go to church or I can kill you. And we will go to church and have your funeral. But either way, you will be in church. Because as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That is a true story. <laughs> awesome. Y'all are clapping at the abuse I endured as a kid. Um, dinners, dinners were different at our house. Dinners were different because you could not eat your food. You could not touch your meal without my mama hitting you with this question. What's your favorite scripture? Before you could eat your food, you had to give a scripture. You don't know hunger until your mind is trying to find a scripture just so you can eat the food. I remember one dinner being so hungry and so exasperated with my mom. I looked at her and said, Jesus wept. Give me the chicken. Why are you playing with people's food? This is, this is stupid, but that is the environment that I grew up in. And uh, I'm thankful that's the environment that I grew up in because it's actually produced in me an insatiable desire for the word of God. I am obsessed with the word of God. It is the hinge upon which my faith has its mobility. The word of God is the irreducible substantive essence of what it means to know who your God is. To those of you who think that book you're holding is some boring antiquated book that doesn't really relate to your life, you have lost your mind. 
that is the only book that's still alive. It is the only book that's still breathing. It is the only book that has real power. It is, it is the only book that was written in antiquity, but yet somehow it can speak to the specificity of your life. There is nothing like the word of God. I believe the whole thing is true. Come on, somebody. I believe the whole thing is true. I didn't believe the maps in the back. That's how gangster I am. I love the word of God. It fortifies me. It builds me up. But I have to be honest, I do have a favorite section. Come on, we all have our favorites. And I think my favorite literary genre in all of the Bible has to be the Gospels. I love the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. As a matter of fact, I've spent so much time studying the Gospels. I feel like they're close personal friends of mine. I call them Matt, Marky Mark, Uncle Luke, and Little John. I love the Gospels because it's in the Gospels that we get to see the ministry of Jesus Christ himself. I get to see how he walked, how he talked, how he handled different scenarios. One scholar said that the Gospels are Christology in narrative form. That's just a fancy way to say that the Gospels are the closest thing that we have of a biography of the greatest man who ever walked the face of this earth and his name is Jesus. I, I love the Gospels. Here's what I really love. I love that these four Gospel writers all talk about the same Jesus but they do it in totally different ways. Totally different. Almost like four film directors who've been given the same subject to film, but have each been given their own cinematic license to film it. Each one of them give us a different HD view of who Jesus really is. And that's why I'm glad John is our director for today. See, if you like long, boring documentaries, you got to read the book of Matthew, okay? Because Matthew, he is writing primarily to a Jewish audience, so he begins the long and laborious process of letting you know that Jesus is the fulfillment of over. 300 Old Testament prophecies that were given in a 1500 year time span. Come on, has anybody in here ever read Matthew chapter 1? Get you some espresso when you read it, okay? Excitement level is right up there with the book of Leviticus, okay? For the whole first chapter, we are just scripturally inundated with baby daddy after baby daddy after baby daddy, okay? That is chapter one. If, if you like sci-fi movies, sci-fi movies, you got to read the book of Luke because Luke is a doctor. So Luke goes into great detail to explain the miracles that Christ did and how his miracles could do what modern medicine could not do. Uh, those of you who are like me and you like some movies that have some action where things get blown up and people get beat up. Come with your boy to the book of Mark. Mark is Jesus Christ in action. Mark's so cray-cray, he don't even have time for baby Jesus. No, for real, read Mark. You will not find a manger in the book of Mark. This dude skips Christmas and goes straight to full-grown Jesus with hair on his chest, smelling like Old Spice. Mark is not playing games with you. Mark wants to let you know with clarity and precision that before there was a Russell Crowe in Gladiator, before there was a Mel Gibson in Braveheart, before there was a Denzel, my twin, hello, before there was any of them, please believe there was a King Jesus. And when he stepped in a situation, it had to come under his divine authority because he was God. Manifesting himself in the flesh. But the gospel of John, from which our text derives today, John. Ooh, sorry, fellas. John is a chick flick, okay? John is a chick flick. John is all about the love of God. If you like the movie Dear John, read John. Because John is, is, is so intent on expressing the love of our Savior. Who else but John could give us the Magna Carta of our faith in John 3.16 that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. This is the gospel 
gospel of John. You know, John is the disciple that was always laying his head on the chest of Jesus. He could hear his heartbeat. That's why John's gospel pulsates with the personality of Jesus Christ. You do know that John is a disciple that the Bible says is the one who Jesus loved. Never mind the fact John wrote that about himself. He said, I'm just letting y'all know right now, I am his favorite. Oh, the gospel of John is so powerful. It is so powerful. John doesn't even start by discussing Jesus' earthly lineage, but it's almost like he retweets the book of Genesis and begins his gospel by saying, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that has been made. And then in verse 14, the whole text crescendos, and it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Ooh, I'm telling you that scripture right there makes my right toe tingle to know that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You realize the only reason we have hope tonight is because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The reason we can lift up our hands and worship is because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The reason we have hope of salvation and redemption is because the word became flesh and it dwelt among us. Ooh, let me calm down and really not just preach but teach but one of the challenges we face in our culture today a culture that is so opposed and antithetical to the kingdom of God is that many people want you to give them an argument that God is real so they'll say hey give me your argument prove to me God is real give me your argument and we can have discussions and debates and diatribes but the reality is whenever God wanted to reveal who he was to humanity he did not send an argument he sent a person and his name is Jesus Jesus is God's argument that he is real he revealed himself to us because the word became flesh okay some of y'all still confused so let me give you some blues clues and make it real plain okay if I am sick if I am sick the last thing I want you to do is just throw me a medical book if I'm on my deathbed don't just throw me a medical book you know what I want you to do go get me a doctor you know why the doctor personifies the principles that are held within the medical book if I am in trouble and they're about to send me to jail and I'm in trouble, don't just throw me a law book. You know what I want you to do? Go call a lawyer quick. You know why? Because the lawyer personifies the principles that are encapsulated within the law book. Some of y'all going to get it in a minute. If somebody comes to my house and they rob me and they steal my Air Jordan collection, here's what I don't want you to do. Don't just throw me a book with the penal code. Call the popo, fool. You know why? Because the police officer personifies the principles that are encapsulated within the word of God. How many of you know when we were stuck in our sin and we had no hope of redemption, we didn't just need the law. We didn't just need the Ten Commandments. Come on, somebody. We needed Jesus because Jesus personifies the principle that are in the word of God. Oh, come on. Somebody ought to give our God some praise if you're thankful that the word became Oh, that's the best praise you got for your Savior who came down from heaven into earth, who put on human skin, who left the sea of glass, who left heaven's throne so he could feel what you feel. Woo, the word became flesh and it dwelt among us. What hope we have. And then John says, he says, and we beheld the wonder of his glory. The only begotten of the Father Full of grace and truth. Wait a minute, John. How can you put those two words together? How in the world can Jesus be full of grace and truth? 
Come on, these two words do not go together. How can Jesus be full of grace and truth? If there ever was an oxymoron, it is grace and truth. Come on, one of these things is not like the other. This is like beauty and the beast. How can Jesus be full of grace and truth? You can't have both of those together. Come on, every husband in here will tell you that. Come on, when your wife comes out the dressing room and she has on that dress and she asks you, babe, be honest now, does this make me look fat? Come on, brother, you only got one option. Grace, grace, grace. Don't you go to truth. It will be a cold night on the couch for you. You better go to grace. Girl, what you mean you look You ain't never looked fat a day in your life. Buy that dress and six more just like it. How can these two things go together? How can Jesus be full of grace and truth? This doesn't make sense. Let's just for a moment consider the grace of God. Who is anybody in here thankful for the grace of God? Oh, come on, somebody. His grace to think that no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, that God's grace can reach you. No matter where you've gone, God's grace is so fragrant. His grace is so intoxicating that no matter who you are, you can come to the throne of grace boldly. If you look at God's grace and you don't call it anything but amazing, you don't understand what God's grace really is. His grace is incredible. But then... You have his truth, his standard that is so high, that is so perfect, that is so flawless, that on your best day, your righteousness is still as filthy as rags. Ooh, if I say it the way I want to say it, your righteousness is still ratchet. On your best day, that's how high God's truth is. God's truth is so high, it would be like all of us in here having a contest to see who could touch the top of the Statue of Liberty. Okay, who can jump the highest and touch the top? How many of you know some of us would get higher than others, but we would all still be a long way off from the top of that building? That is God's standard and his holiness. So how can he be full of grace and truth. This is a conundrum. If I was to do a personality test in this room today, most of, us, most of us would lean towards one of these two extremities of grace and truth. Like there's grace people in here today. And the grace people, oh, you love the grace people, don't you? They're all about love. And they just say, why can't we all just get along? And just grace, grace for the whole race. And you, you talk to the grace person during, during the time we had to meet and greet and they shook your hand too long and they got in your space and hugged you and you kind of awkwardly went like that because those are the grace people. Oh, they're all about love. They're quick to forgive. The grace people always smile. It's awesome. But the grace people have the tendency in order to show grace to lower the standard and the truth. Then you got truth people. And the truth people will tell you like it is. Truth people will shoot you and not wait to see you fall. Truth people will let you know what they really think. Truth people are the trolls that get up on your Instagram and your Facebook. Ain't said nothing about any other post, but they got something to say. Of, um, truth people don't play. They're like, oh, no, you don't like me? So, yeah, you because you can't handle the truth. But I'm going to tell you the truth. Oh, truth people. They will point their finger real quick. The problem with the truth people is they forget that when you point in your finger, you got four of them pointing right back at you. Oh, how in the world can Jesus be full of grace and truth? See, grace without truth is meaningless. Truth without grace is mean. Grace and truth is medicine. And Jesus says, I am medicine because I am the amalgamation of both grace and truth. The gospel flies on the wings of grace and truth. Jesus was not 50% truth, 50% grace. He was 100% truth, 100% grace 
And I think that we see it beautifully in this text of scripture in John chapter 8. It is illustrated powerfully because the Bible says that Jesus is in the temple and he's teaching. And in the middle of his sermon, all of a sudden, some Pharisees and scribes kick open the door and they bring in a woman who has just been caught in the act of adultery, perhaps just has a sheet wrapped around her. They throw this woman at the feet of Jesus and they say, Jesus, stop the sermon. You know how religious people look. They always look like they smell something in the room. That's the religious face there. Jesus, stop the sermon. And they throw this woman at the feet of Jesus. And they say, Jesus, we caught her in the act of adultery. Moses' law says she should be stoned. But what do you have to say? In the middle of his sermon, you want to talk about a sermon interruption. This is a sermon interruption. Now, here's what I love about the ministry of Jesus. If you study it, you realize he was getting interrupted all the time. Like people were always interrupting Jesus all the time. He was used to this. You remember one time he was preaching and people started cutting a hole in a roof to drop a lame man at the feet of Jesus so he could heal him. Oh, he was always getting interrupted. One time he was on his way to heal this guy's daughter. And on the way, this woman, this woman with some issues, some issues of blood started pulling on his clothes because she wanted her healing. One time he was preaching and this dude starts screaming, blind Bartimaeus, this ghetto hood dude just starts screaming and won't shut up. Talking about Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. He was just ghetto and hood. Some of y'all like, how you know he was hood? I know he was hood because the Bible says that the crowd around him told him to be quiet and the more they kept telling him to be quiet, the louder he got. He said, Jesus, son of David. Y'all can see, I can't. Have mercy. Oh, Jesus. He was used to interruptions. But this interruption, oh, this is a different kind of interruption. This isn't somebody with a withered hand. This isn't somebody with an issue of blood. This isn't somebody looking for a miracle. This is somebody who has been dragged out of a bed from committing adultery. And watch this. They brought this woman in the temple. They brought her in the tip. They brought her and they brought the girl into church. Okay, I don't know how you read your Bible. Here's how I read my Bible, okay? When I read the Bible, I jump in the page of the Bible. I imagine what it would be like to be that particular individual. So can you imagine on this illustrious evening at the 6 o'clock service, as I'm preaching, all of a sudden in the middle of the sermon, somebody bursts through those back doors with a woman who's just been caught in adultery, and they come in here and they say, Robert! Stop the sermon. We just caught this woman in the act of adultery. We think she should be stoned in the parking lot after service. What do you have to say? What do I? You, you know, you're looking for Javon. Javon, I'm Robert. Uh, people get us confused all the time. Let me, let me get him. Let me get him. I'm from Dallas. Let me get him. Can you imagine? shock in the room can you imagine in that service the tweets that went out after the service can you imagine the oh the gasp in the room and the eyebrows that were raised in that moment ladies and gentlemen I submit to you in that moment of all the eyebrows that were raised of all the people that sucked air there was one person who never lifted up his eyebrows who never sucked in air and his name is Jesus. Woo. His name is Jesus. I think this is a good place to insert this thought that Jesus is not shocked, nor is he intimidated by your sin. 
Jesus is not shocked by your sin. You might be shocked by it. Your neighbor might be shocked by it. Some of you couldn't even worship in service today because the enemy kept reminding you of all your past mistakes and your failures. But can I tell you, your Savior is not intimidated, nor is he shocked by sin. As a matter of fact, that's what he came to earth to do, to cancel the debt of sin and take the sting out of death. He's not shocked by sin. See, the Pharisees were trying to pull a TMZ. They thought because it was so scandalous that they were going to get a reaction out of Jesus. He was going to go, oh, OMG, me! how dare you bring her in there? But Jesus is not shocked by sin. We get shocked by sin. I've noticed that humans love to put sin in categories. It is comforting to our conscience. Have you noticed this? We see sin in categories like there's big sin and then there's little sin. But God does not see it like that. He just sees sin as sin. See if I can articulate it like this. It's funny. My wife and I, we love coming to California. We love your state, okay? I'm from Texas, but if there's any place I can move to, it's right here. That is the 100% truth. And uh, whenever we come here, we generally eat healthy here uh, because, come on, y'all got all kinds of good gluten-free, cage-free, grass-fed. I mean, it's awesome here. Not in Dallas. They will add gluten to everything that you eat in Dallas. And so we love coming here to get a little healthy green drinks and all that. But uh, this week, we ran to a problem because our hotel is like six minutes from sidecar donuts have you been to this place sidecar donuts and so my wife and i are struggling so we go to sidecar donuts this week now my wife and i my wife she just likes plain donuts okay just plain glaze she don't want anything on it me i'm like man the more the better whatever you can put on there that's why i love sidecar they got donuts with bacon and donuts with cream cheese whatever you want on the donut that's my favorite so wouldn't it be ridiculous this week if as i'm eating my donut with all the accoutrements on the donut and my wife is eating her plain donut wouldn't it be crazy of me to be looking at her judging her talking about "Mm, how dare you eat that plain donut you are not spiritual at all i cannot believe you're eating that donut all the while i got bacon and glaze all on my nose all in my face and how many know my body does not care what the flavor of donut is your body doesn't know whether it's blueberry or whether it's cream filled all your body counts is calories And all it knows is it is affecting your body the same. See, people in the body of Christ, they love to judge people off the flavor of sin. So it's easy to turn up your nose at somebody who doesn't have the flavor of sin that you have. And all while you turn up your nose at them, you got glaze and chocolate all on the side of your face. And God says, I see it all the same way. And they thought they were going to get a reaction out of Jesus. The Bible says something interesting. It says that these Pharisees set up this whole scenario to trap Jesus. They were trying to trap him. And this is why I got to give the Pharisees some props because this was actually a good trap. This was a really good trap. It was a brilliant trap because the reason it was a good trap is because the Pharisees were right. They were right. The law of Moses was clear that the punishment for adultery was stoning. But isn't it crazy how you can be right and still so wrong? You can be right and wrong at the same time. You can be so busy making your point that you break a person. And the Pharisees, they knew the word, but they didn't know the letter of the law. They didn't know the spirit of the law. They knew the word, but they didn't know the author. That was a problem with the Pharisees. Oh, they could quote the word of God, but they lost the spirit of the law. But they were right. The punishment for adultery is stoning. So watch this. If Jesus stands up in the middle of this predicament and says, hey, don't you stone her. He is now trampling on the law and on the word of God. And that's a problem because they already downloaded his podcast where he said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. So if he says, don't stone her, 
he tramples on the law of God. On the other hand, if he says, you know what? The word of God is right. Stoner, get a big rock, knock her out. <laughs> now this Savior who is known as come to him and receive love and mercy and peace. Now the message is come to Jesus and get stoned to death. So Jesus is in a precarious predicament because what, what does he do? If he says don't stone her, he tramples on the law. If he says let the stoning begin, he tramples on the woman. Woo, this is a good trap. I'm telling you, if it was me, I would have been nervous. My hands would have been shaking. I would have been looking for Google or a commentary or calling Olivia Pope. I would not know what to do in this situation because I am an ordinary man. But Jesus was not an ordinary man. He wasn't even just a good man. He was the God man. He was God wrapped up in flesh. And how many are thankful that there is no scheme of man that can ever stop your God from doing what he wants to do? See, I don't just praise God because he has power. I praise God because he has intellect. I love that we serve a God who is not just omnipotent, all-powerful, but he is omniscient, infinite in all awareness, understanding, and insight. The same God that spoke the world into existence and said, let there be water, and then created the fish. He didn't say, let there be fish and go, uh-oh, I need to create some water. And the same way he's careful about that, how many are thankful he is careful about your life? He knows the plans that he set before the foundation of the earth your God has power and intellect I'm telling you that is a great thing to praise God for I was thinking on this text and the brilliance of our God I said I wonder what Jesus IQ was can you imagine what Jesus IQ was actually scratch that delete that backspace Jesus couldn't have IQ because IQ stands for intelligence quotient and a quotient is a formula that is used to measure something and how many know God's intelligence is immeasurable so Jesus didn't even have IQ he just had I Maybe that's why he said, I am that I am. I am every single thing. You Help me preach at this six o'clock service. I am your peace. I am your joy. I am your direction. I am your butler. I am your protector. I am your provider. I am everything you need. Somebody needs to get this. You understand that your God is so brilliant. He is so infinite in his intellect that he has never thought of anything that he didn't already think of. Because if Jesus could think of something he hadn't already thought of, that means he could learn something, and he can't learn anything because he knows everything because he created the end from the beginning. Woo. Let me say it another way. Nothing has ever occurred to your God. God has never said, never said, oh, you know what just occurred to me. He knows the end from the beginning, and they thought they could trap God on the word that he was. So can you see the scenario? They said, Jesus, we caught her in the act of adultery. Law of Moses says she should be stoned. What do you have to say? The Bible says Jesus looked at the Pharisees with hatred in their eyes because their position had become more important to them than God's presence. He looked at this woman who had to be so embarrassed. Can you imagine the shame? Surely her head is down. Surely she wanted to meet Jesus, but not like this. The Pharisees say, what do you have to say? And Jesus turns his back, stoops down on the ground, and he starts doodling <laughs> in the dirt. Jesus, what do you have to say about this? Oh, what do I have to say? <laughs> he just doodles in the dirt. Jesus! We want a response. 
what, what do you have to say about this? He just doodles. And the, and the Bible says he pretended as though he didn't hear. That's just a fancy way to say he was officially ignoring them. He just turned his back and just started writing in the ground. I want to parenthetically park here and let somebody know you need to take a lesson from Jesus. Whenever the enemy comes into your life with all kinds of chaos, whenever haters start coming into your life, quick being so quick to give a response and a reaction. Sometimes the best thing you can say is nothing at all come on somebody some of you just need to turn your back and get down on your knees and remind yourself that god is your defender god is your judge just stand still and see the salvation of the lord he will fight your battles don't say anything just turn your back Get down on your knees and remind yourself that he is the author and the finisher of your faith. You do know that silence can never be misquoted. Sometimes the best thing you can say is nothing at all. And I love Jesus because he's teaching us a principle that whenever the enemy comes in your life with chaos and confusion, don't give him a reaction. Give him a response. There is a difference between a reaction and a response. See, the Pharisees, they wanted his reaction. Whenever you react to something, you react the chaos that was brought into your life. That's what the enemy wants. He wants your reaction. He's not after your finances. He wants your reaction. He's not after your kids. He wants your reaction. But there's a difference between a reaction and a response. I'll prove it to you. Have you ever noticed when you call 911 that it's called an emergency response team? Not emergency react team. Can you imagine if it was emergency react team and you call 911? You said, oh, somebody help, my child, my child, 911 help. And the person on the phone says, ah, what we gonna do? You'd be like, hey, I called you. No, they don't react, they respond. And Jesus says, I'm not gonna give you a reaction. I'm gonna give you a response. And my response is to turn my back. And he starts writing in the dirt. I'm almost done, but you know, this is a hot topic in theology because everybody wants to know what was Jesus riding in the dirt that day? Everybody wants to know and so many theologians and scholars have postulated so many theories. One person said he wrote Jeremiah 17 3, that those who forsake the Lord, their names will be written as dust in the ground. Another person postulates that he wrote the Ten Commandments. Somebody else said he wrote, love the Lord your God all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Another theory says that he wrote the names and the sin of every person that had gathered there with the rock that day. So when they looked down in the dirt and saw their name and the sin they did right next to it, they were like, you know what? I got to go. I wasn't even trying to be here anyway. I'm trying to watch Netflix. And I don't know if that's true, but I love that theory. And I read a lot of books and I studied this text deeply and I dug down deep into the archaeological value of this text and I excavated and I extrapolated the complexities hidden within the crevices of this biblical composition and I finally have the best answer to what Jesus wrote Woo, I know what it is are you ready to hear it are you ready I'll tell you next week God bless you it's been so good being with you. Oh, hear me here's my answer to what he wrote you ready I don't know <laughs> I don't know what he wrote I don't and hear me I do not care because I don't want to be distracted 
trying to figure out what he wrote lest I'll miss out on how he was responding because you got to understand that when the law the Pharisees represent the law when the law caught this woman in the act of adultery and sin she was guilty Jesus immediate response to the law was to come down on the ground touch that ground and then the Bible says something interesting it says he raised himself up and he responded to the accusations of the law when the law caught this woman in the act of her adultery she was caught in the act there was no questioning whether she was guilty or not she was 100% guilty and the law the Pharisees came to throw the stones at her Jesus response to the law was to immediately come down to the ground and touch the ground and the Bible says that he raised himself up and he offered a response to the accusations of the law I hope somebody can get this in here tonight understand this woman was caught in the act she was guilty no denying it and Jesus response to the law and her sin was to come down on the ground and the Bible says he raised himself up and offered a response to the accusations of the law ladies and gentlemen this is the gospel I am that woman you are that woman all of humanity was guilty until Jesus came down from heaven to earth and he touched this earth and then he raised himself up come on somebody on the cross and the cross was his answer to all the accusations of the law oh come on somebody ought to give God some praise in this place today oh. I was guilty you were guilty we were all caught in the act because of Adam's mistake and Jesus response was to immediately come down from heaven to earth he put on human skin and he raised himself up on a cross so that we would have an answer to the demands of the law he says he who's without sin among you you throw the first stone watch this notice he never denies that she should be stoned because the law is the law you cannot change the law we're living in a culture that wants to shift the truth in order to show grace he never denied that she was supposed to be stoned he said I'm not denying she should be stoned she should he goes here's what I'm denying that any of y'all with rocks are qualified to do the stoning the only person that's qualified to do the stoning is the person that is sinless is the person that is perfect Said, I'm not denying the law of Moses but by the law of Moses I deny that any of you are qualified to do the stoning and one by one they dropped their rock then he looked at the woman and said excuse me hello excuse me ma'am where are those accusers of yours and I think he had to ask her that because here's how I see it in my mind I think this woman's head was down the whole time I think tears were streaming down her face because she's thinking I am about to die Jesus is a rabbi. He's going to uphold the law. I'm about to die in my shame and my condemnation. And I think she was so busy weeping about her mistakes and what she did that Jesus had to get her to look up and see what had happened. So here she is weeping. He goes, excuse me, excuse me, woman, where are those accusers of yours? And I can see her going, Jesus, how could you ask me that? You don't see all these. 
She didn't even realize that the thing she was crying about, Jesus had already taken care of it. Come on, somebody needs to take that word tonight. Quit crying over past mistakes and past sin when the blood of Jesus has already covered it. He's already paid the price for it. You can stop paying the price because he already did. Hallelujah. She says, are you going to condemn me? Neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. And I can see this woman walking away, dancing, shouting, and praising. But I can also see Peter, loudmouth Peter, right after she left going, Jesus, that's it? You just going to let her walk away and leave? Oh, Jesus, you are a rabbi. You got to uphold the law. Somebody's got to pay the price. You can't just let her leave. See Jesus going, shut up, Peter. He says, Peter, somebody is going to pay the price. Somebody's body is going to be beaten. Somebody is going to take the pain, but it won't be her. It won't be the Pharisees who forgot they weren't different than the woman on the ground. Peter, it won't even be you, which by the way, fast forward, you're going to deny me three times. He says, Peter, I'm going to take the beating. I'm going to take the bruising. I'm going to pay the price for all of humanity's sin. And I can see, I can see Peter going, well, Jesus, how can you do, do that? Peter, it's easy because I'm full of it. I am full of grace and truth. How many are thankful for a God that is full of grace and truth? I'm just going to ask every head be bowed and every eye be closed. I truly sense, I didn't preach this message in the morning, but I sense somebody in here today. Maybe you came in like this woman. So much shame. So much condemnation. You think your God is mad at you. But hear me tonight. The gospel is so clear. He is not mad at you. He is in love with you. He is full of grace and truth. If you're here today and you say, I just need to receive more of that grace, more of that truth. Some of you just been dealing with the weight of sin and condemnation. But hear me, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's you today. You say, I just need to receive our Savior who's full of grace and truth and just get that shame and condemnation off of me. If that's you, would you just lift up your hand all over this place today? Say, that's me. I, I receive that. I receive it. I'm not going to walk in shame. I'm not going to walk in condemnation. He's full of grace and truth. Thank you, God. Father, I thank you for every hand that's lifted. Pray that your presence meets them right where they are. Head still bowed, eyes still closed. If you're in today and you've never even taken the first step, which is to just to surrender your life to Jesus. Come on, you know you are disconnected from him. If that's you, I want to pray with you. It doesn't matter what you've done. You might have been saying, man, I got to get myself together before I give my life to Jesus. You can't get yourself together. You come to him just as you are. If that's you, would you just lift up your hand right where you are? I want to pray with you saying, I need to surrender my life to him. Just lift it up and then put it right back down. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Can we just pray this closing prayer as one big family? We're going to all say it together, but especially those of you who responded. Would you say this from your heart? Just say, Dear Jesus, thank you so much for dying on a cross, getting up from the grave for me. God, thank you for being full of it, for being full of grace and truth. Lord, today, 
no more condemnation no more shame I receive your grace and I walk in your truth from this moment forward all that I am is yours and Lord as the recipient of your grace and truth use my life to show grace and truth to every single person I meet so that when they see me they'll see you in Jesus name amen 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 come on if you meant that would you give God some praise tonight oh come on you can do better thank you for listening to this week's podcast we hope you are blessed 